Blog Talk Radio. Futurist Salon. Um, this is my award-winning show, bringing knowledge to the digital community. At the Edge discusses ideas, crossing cultural boundaries to expand ideas about art, writing, knowledge, publishing, and production, while contending with challenges about access, virtual space, political context, challenges, and incursion of cyber cultures. You can also see me on my blog, besides doing podcasting, my blog, AfroFuturesInstaller.com. So today, um, I have a co-host. Um, I am joined by Chase Duffy. Um, he is a senior, um, an English major at UDC, who is originally from South Dakota, who is also First Nations. Who, uh, and so he's also an intern and my research assistant. Chase, you do a lot. Um, Chase, could you tell us a little bit about you? Absolutely. And I do want to just correct real quick. I'm not First Nation. I have family members who are, but I am not personally. I don't want to be Elizabeth Warren out here. Um, I grew up in South Dakota (laughs) my first 20 years of life, and it definitely shaped who I am today. I've been in D.C. the last four years studying English, first at Howard University, now at UDC, um, and hopefully this is my last semester. I'm hoping to be able to graduate. Um, right on. Right on. Right on. Thank you, Chief. Would you like Thank to you. introduce our guests, or would you like me to? Absolutely. Well, actually, you could do that today. Yes. Yeah. Go. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Okay. Perfect. 
So today we have with us the Chief Academic Officer at the University of the District of Columbia, uh, Dr. Potter. Dr. Potter has worked at and studied at the University of St. Thomas, Allegheny College, Western Michigan University, and Jackson State before his time at UDC. Um, and we're super excited to have this man with us today to talk about coronavirus and uh, its impact on education, really, and the, the recent election. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so um, Dr. Potter, um, would you like to uh, tell us uh, tell us a bit um, um, about about you? Um, and um, first of all, is this your first podcast? Uh, this is my first podcast, Dr. Turpin, so I'm uh, very excited, and I want to take this opportunity to say thank you for being persistent uh, and getting me on your podcast. Um, I am extraordinarily excited that you have a student co-host who is an English major, uh, reminds me of my young self at Stillman College, where I majored in English, religion, and philosophy as a triple major. Uh, and so I'm very much looking forward to our conversation this afternoon. Oh, wow. Great. That's awesome. All right. So, Chase, um, I, think, I think we're ready to, to get into um, a couple of those, uh, those questions. Um, so let's start off. Okay. Perfect. Um, so just to begin, Dr. Potter, where are you originally from, and how did this birthplace influence how you uh, matured? Um, so I am originally born in New Orleans, Louisiana, but raised in Jackson, Mississippi. And so given that I have family both in Louisiana and Mississippi, my southern roots run deep. Uh, and if you know Langston Hughes' poetry, I've known rivers. Uh, the Mississippi River absolutely is quintessential in who I am as an individual because it has both metaphorical and liturgical references to my upbringing. And so when I think about my birth, when I think about the challenges and the opportunities and possibilities that I faced, um, it was exciting. Uh, Threatening, traumatic, but also exciting. Um, and if you know anything about Mississippi and Louisiana in the 1970s and growing up in the 1980s, uh, clearly um, it was, although desegregated, very much a segregated place. And through Catholic private formative education, I was able to develop a sense of identity and develop a sense of self around not only my kind of spiritual understanding, but my own personal identity as a black man in the American South. Um, I would say that both Louisiana and Mississippi, but more so Mississippi than anything, uh, helped me to construct who I would not be rather than who I would be. And so thinking about life in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, through high school and junior high school, um, it made perfect sense to me that it was a place that I did not want to spend my elongated adult life in. Um, racism was real. Uh, segregation was real. 
but there was also a stern sense of black community and a stern sense of black resilience. And so if I have anything to be thankful for, particularly growing up in the American South, there are three kind of clear issues that I would say that have shaped my life. One, a strong family with sense of purpose and sense of identity. I'm a third-generation college graduate. Uh, My grandparents and my parents are graduate of historically black colleges and universities, and my siblings and I are. Um, Secondly, uh, really understanding legacy um, in community and giving to community uh, is an important piece of who I firmly am. And I have the American South to thank for that. Uh, Church background, um, I think community background, I think grassroots organizations, but more importantly, black communal organizations, shaping who I was as a young teenager and through my years uh, into my early 20s. Um, fully understanding that education was uh, a principle and a responsibility and that it was not an option and that if I chose not to do education, uh, then I needed to get a job and get out or I needed to figure out the military route. Uh, So education was pushed very strongly. Um, And in and out of those community organizations, I was able to, through um, a series of opportunities, Uh, learn what it meant to be in oratorical competitions, Um, honing my skills in speech, honing my skills in thinking on your feet and intellectual curiosity, honing my skills in public debate. Uh, So I'm very grateful to many organizations in the city of Jackson, Mississippi, whether it was the Odyssey Club or Rotary. Uh, Those things are very important to who I am today. The third piece that I would say for me uh, was an HBCU education. And having gone to Stillman College, triple majoring in English, religion, and philosophy, and fully understanding how I carried what it was that Louisiana and Mississippi had given me through my graduate programs at the University of Missouri, directly out of an undergraduate program. Uh, I have a lot to be thankful for and a lot to give credence to, particularly growing up in the American South. Wow. That is, that's, that's, that's significant. I mean, it's, um, but it also speaks to how each of us carry our own um, respective history, and speaks to um, speaks to some commonalities in terms of what you what you learn from your from your past. And so we are at one eleven. Remember, we got thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> I told you. It goes fast. It really does. It's a lot of time, but it, it, it really isn't in many, in many ways. So let's do this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take um, one of the questions that Chase wrote, and I'm going to kind of combine it with kind of bringing us into today. 
Um, so Chase wanted to know um, about the lessons that you learned at your previous um, position. He also wanted to know what's it like um, being a uh, being being the CAO at uh, for a university. And so I want you to think about that, but I also want to kind of bring into the forefront something I read in um, Issues in Higher Education, and that is what's going to happen now that that disastrous um, education secretary, Jesse DeVos, has been effectively kicked out. The Trump administration is gone. Biden is coming in. You've got people talking about, well, should we bring somebody from an HBCU? I'm hesitant on that for a variety of reasons. Um, but they're also talking about bringing in somebody who is from one of the one of the higher education unions, or at least from someplace like um, AST or NEA. So, given what is now a an abrupt halt to Trumpism and going into that and using what you've learned from your past. What will your position look like and feel like, and what will UDC look like and feel like as, you know, as we move from one political um, train to another political train coming in? Wow. So uh, brilliant question, but very loaded. And so I want to try to unpack this because I know that it's two or three questions combined. And so I'd first like to speak to Chase's questions around my experience at earlier institutions and what it's like to be a CAO at UDC. Um, and so I would say to you, Chase, that I have worked into the broader listening audience, uh, that I have worked at a range of institutions. I have worked at all mission-centered universities, whether they were Catholic universities or historically black colleges and universities or a Hispanic-serving institution or a predominantly white institution or a private liberal arts elite. I've worked across a range and spectra of universities over my 24 years in higher ed. The other thing that I would say that I've learned is is that each of those types of institutions are very different. They have very different kinds of audiences that need to be responded to, but also in those audiences they have alumni bases and they have missions that are core to the principled values by which um, they exist. And so if if I were to say that I, what I've learned is, is that you have to understand institutional cultures, you also have to understand that in higher education, um, the concept of shared governance is one that harkens back to the Middle Ages. But even in every type of institution that I've worked, that the identities and the cultures of those institutions vary. But the similarities is, is that we all, each of those institutions, were really principled on manifesting, educating students, and bringing to the fore a new generation of an educated populace. 
and so I think while they were very different, they all had a common goal, working for a common good of educating the next generation of learned individuals, regardless of background, regardless of sector, and regardless of interest in terms of discipline and or major. And so how do I bring that experience into my role as a chief academic officer at the University of the District of Columbia? Well, I have been um, in the tenure stream my entire career, um, and it's one thing that I'm extraordinarily proud of. Starting out at a research one institution that was highly competitive in the state of Michigan and earning tenure early at the age of 30, being promoted to an associate professor and then becoming a department chair and serving as a department chair and moving from that particular role uh, as an associate professor of English and African American studies to become in 2004 a, ch a chief diversity officer. No one knew what a chief diversity officer was in 2004, but Lawrence Potter was part of a group of individuals that really shaped the founding of what we now call CDOs. And so in my transition from Western Michigan University to the University of St. Thomas, I became an inaugural chief diversity officer and really focused in on the lens of social justice, justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion with respect to the multitudes of impacts and interventions that that role would play in higher education. Uh, and so I remained at the University of St. Thomas for five years and went on to become the inaugural chief diversity officer at the Allegheny College, which is in Pennsylvania, which is very rural, which is highly selective, and which is Trump country, quite frankly. Uh, but really working with those high-touch, high-need students and shaping the actual narrative about what this position in higher education would be. Uh, and so diverse issues in higher education has featured uh, a model that I created that has been used across multiple institutions, various sizes, um, with respect to the chief diversity officer model. And in my time in Pennsylvania, not only was I the chief diversity officer, but I was the associate dean of the faculty uh, at a small elite liberal arts college. And in that, I had the, the breadth and the depth to really shape and inform faculty development. And so faculty development is really important to my role as a chief academic officer. One of the key principles that I have to think about every day particularly in the land of COVID, is, is how do you continue to think through and work with in consultation to make sure that faculty are being trained and upskilled on, the, on their side such that the educational experience for those students on the opposite side is impactful and meaningful. And so surrounding yourself with the intellect and persons who are equally confident and competent in that particular realm uh, is really important. 
And so from Allegheny, I moved to Jackson State University, which is a historically black college and university, um, which is much larger than the University of the District of Columbia, which has more of a focus on research. But being dean of the College of Liberal Arts there, and then moving from there after four years to being dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at a Hispanic-serving institution in Southern California, all of those things and all of those positions, department chair, uh, associate dean, chief diversity officer, a two-time academic dean of colleges of arts and sciences and or liberal arts, propelled me to my role as a chief academic officer. And in all of that, I think the silver lining is, one, I have been faculty. Two, I have been forced to continue to teach and publish. I have been forced to continue to be productive as a scholar in my community. I have been forced to really think about the student and their needs as a faculty member, as an advisor, as a dissertation chair to 13 students. My most recent dissertation student graduated from LSU two years ago and is now fully employed. And so all of those things bring to bear in my current position at the University of the District of Columbia as the Chief Academic Officer reflection, but also projection. Reflection in the sense that I fully understand the kind of institution that I have entered in. And I think that it goes without saying that you must fully understand when and where you enter. And then in when and where you enter, you fully must understand the type and the culture of institution. And so UDC is extraordinarily unique in that it is the only public option for higher education in the nation's capital. Secondly, it carries a dual historic mission. Not only is it a historically black college and university, but it is a land-grant, urban land-grant institution. And across both its dual missions, the principal focus is access. It is access to higher education, and it is serving underserved and underprepared populations. And in all of my roles, I would say that I have nestled to that very beacon of really articulating clearly what it means to be able to serve disparate, underserved, underprepared, marginalized, minoritized populations within the domain of higher education. Um, I would lastly round this out by saying particularly to uh, Dr. Turpin's question around political implications in the future of ed education or the future of higher education, in that uh, while there are political transitions, I think we, not, we need not be naive about the implications leading up to that transition. Transitions are supposed to be peaceful. They are supposed to be conciliatory. They are supposed to be operationalized such that there is sharing of information from the outgoing to the incoming. What we don't see in this particular um, transition of power uh, or transition of administrations is that knowledge sharing. And that's really key to the future of higher education in this country. Higher education is all about knowledge creation, knowledge development, and knowledge sharing. And if we have leaders in the country who have not come to the understanding that they, through public vote, popular vote, 
and through canvassing have not fully acquiesced to a peaceful transition of power, I think that we have more things on the horizon to be concerned about than simply being jubilant about the election of President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. I think that those political implications really manifest themselves in the kinds of knowledge sharing that will happen in this transition, such that, for example, with Bessie DeVos being lame duck and transitioning out, you know, who on the Biden team is standing in the gaps to fully understand what's going on at the U.S. Department of Education, and more particular with the student loan issue, in which many students across the United States in higher education today have to borrow money to pay for their education. So Biden needs someone on his team that fully understands that kind of transitory operation, such that relief continues for those individuals who have been impacted by COVID and who continue to be impacted by underemployment or unemployment. The only other so I want to I I break in. Oh, well, go on. Finish, finish that. Finish that. Finish, and, and, and so I this. would just simply say to end my commentary here is, is that um, I think there is going to be an incredible opportunity even in the doom and gloom or the inability for a Trump administration to transition, with the Biden-Harris ticket, Jill Biden understands higher education and community colleges. She has been there, and so the whole support of that, right? And Kamala Harris is a graduate of Howard University. And so I think think community colleges and minority-serving institutions are going to be a clear focus for a Biden-Harris administration. So I would say this. Um, it's a question, and it's a, it's, 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 it's a couple of questions. For one, could you see yourself, if recruited, could you see yourself um, working under um, a Biden-Harris um, um, administration work, uh, moving moving up. That's like the ultimate moving up. And number two, um, we have Jill Biden, who is an English professor. Um, what are the possibilities of bringing her to campus? She likes teaching, bringing her to campus and having her as, a, as, a, as an adjunct or at least coming to campus and, and, and talking to us. Because the way I see it, if we have the opportunities and we're the local, four, you know, four-year college with Ph.D. programs and a branch campus and, and a law school, why can't we um, host these people, bring them on board and, 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 um, and whatnot, bring attention? You know, it's one great way of, of recruiting. Sure. Uh, so you to got, your first you point, Dr. Turpin, I would say to your first point, do I see myself moving up or into uh, Biden-Harris administration? Those conversations haven't even uh, began or thought about. Uh, and I've had a number of people calling, asking, you know, would you be interested in this? I, you know, I really don't know. I'm very um, pleased with the work that I'm able to do working with faculty, seeing students, and working with President Mason in terms of transforming the University of the District of Columbia. And I think um, we 
are enabled in, in a sense, given our very unique identity and our posture and our dual historic missions, um, to really capitalize on a Biden-Harris administration and, quite frankly, to be a model for what uh, higher education could become given the multiple doors or that of entry that we have through workforce development and partnering with the district government um, on employment and employability. Um, and with our branch campus and community college, right, thinking about associate's degrees and uh, new-collar careers uh, and pathways that lead to a bachelor's, master's, doctoral, or professional degrees in business and law. Um, I'm not sure that you've seen, but the, you know, Northern Virginia Community College has been all over Jill Biden uh, in watching the news these last two days. Uh, yeah. She's not made yeah. any commitment to return to NOVA, uh, but I am absolutely open to finding ways once the transition is in place and has settled. I think Dr. Biden would be an excellent case. Uh, for teaching uh, at our branch campus or teaching uh, on the Van Ness campus, if she is open to that. Um, I think the beauty of COVID, although it is not a great thing to grandstand on, has pushed us into um, a remote emergency instructional mode of delivery, whereby uh, perhaps she could and might really. I'm sorry, we are down to. 43 seconds, 40 seconds. We should have had an hour. You got to come back. You got to come back. I will come back. Absolutely. Right. I will All come right. back. Thank you. Oh, thank yes, you. Please. Thank you, Dr. Potter. A couple, couple more thank questions you. for you, Dr. Potter. Thank yeah, you so I know. Much. Well, thank it's you so both for having me. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, both of you. I got to bring you back. Both of you. I got to bring you back. Thank you so much, both of you. This was really exciting. We got to do this. Again. Thank you so much, guys. I Take will care. see you all on the other side of the digital universe. Thank you, Dr. Bye. Bye now. Thank you. All right.